Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanDrag Sports with me, Sebastian Noren, and Elliot Niblock. Paulie is back from England, but he's not with us here today. You will get a mobile from him towards the end of the show here as he talks about Christian Pulisic and the U.S. men's national team. But we're going to focus mostly on the Premier League. We'll also take a little of a look ahead towards the Champions League and the Europa League as we got some pretty interesting midweek fixtures here. Elliot, uh, looking at this weekend, though, uh, West Brom, they suffered another loss, 2-1 to one at home to Burnley. and yeah, we got Burnley. Those, yeah, I mean, Burnley actually picking up a couple of wins on the road. Uh, yeah, so. and that, uh, that Ashley Barnes goal that he scored to open the scoring in that match was just Amazing. Yes. It was, It was. if I may have a little teaser here, Zlatan-esque. Zlatan-esque, yes. Yeah, I mean, Burnley, they're in seventh place. But Pardew leaving West Brom, we got news of that today, Monday. Uh, they say it's by mutual consent. Sure, I mean... Yeah. But at this, I don't really understand the move from West Brom's perspective. Because... They're basically dead in the water. They have oh, 20, I, 20 yeah. points. I, they got 10 points I mean, up to Crystal Palace, who are just above the drop. With six games is, to go. The thing is that sometimes when a manager leaves by quote-unquote mutual consent, the reality behind it is that you know they shake hands and then they give each other the finger as they turn around to walk away. Right? But, like, I mean, that was... Very much the case with uh, Mourinho's previous departure from Chelsea, right? You know, but I, it makes sense to me that Pardew would leave, right? He has he recognizes that it, the results haven't been good enough, so it's a little bit of a mea culpa on his part. But it's also uh, who wants to watch the ship go down in flames? And uh, yeah, I think it may, it makes sense. It, he's going to be sad about it, obviously. Nobody at the authors is going to be happy about it either, but. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the caretaker manager will get him a couple extra points. But there, I mean, we've spoken a lot on this show about the, you know, the relegation battle that has been brewing. But I think that after this season, after the season, excuse me, after this week, we can pretty much say that West Brom are well and truly done, right? They're seven points behind Stoke. Yeah, they're seven points behind Stoke. They're in 19th place. They're eight points behind Southampton. And like I said, 10 points up to safety. Yeah. Well, and Southampton also have a game in hand up. So yeah. Southampton, with a win, could you know, leapfrog yeah, out. Of the then it's 11 points. Zone. So, yeah. No, they're sorry to West Brom, but yeah, you, are, you're, you guys are not, not going to stay up. And it's, I mean, it's too bad, but. Uh, what are you going to do? They've shipped in, allowed 51 goals and only scored 25. It's not a winning formula. No, and West Brom, you know, the last couple of seasons, they've been known for being, you know, really good defensively, being a tough team to, to play against. And it's um, sort of, all, you know, uncharacteristically for them to ship that many goals. You know, they've been yeah. up in the Premier League now since the 2010-2011 season. I mean, they've been, yeah. you know, if you look at that run, first year back 11th, second year 10th, then 8th 
which was you know really really good for them they had Lukaku that season you know scoring 17 goals and then well and yes go go on no and then I was gonna say then they took a massive step back uh finished just above the drop 17th place then 13th 14th and then last season 10th yeah, but the thing, I think that, you know, we're just saying how everybody at the Hawthorns is going to be in the doldrums about this. And of course, you know, you never want to see your team go down. But at the same time, in the, like, the grander scheme of things, right, we're talking about the mega millions on offer, really, actually billions on offer in the Premier League these days. It it seems like this this could be the platform for them to be a perennial Premier League, I was going to say Premier League contender, perennial contender to get promoted to the Premier League, right? Because you have to assume that with the better part of a decade in the top flight, then that financial platform can, doesn't mean it necessarily will, but it can be the sort of thing that they will then leap forward from in terms of saying, okay, no, our, our goal is always the Premier League. Or they could just kind of slouch back and say, all right, we're going to cash these checks and it'll be fine. But, I mean, it's the uh, the biggest question for me is how much that they're able to actually reinvest in the squad and what kind of players they're, they're going to be able to get going down to the championship. I mean, I, I would expect them, I fully expect West Brom to be fighting for promotion again next season. I'll put it that way. Yeah, they have the financial muscles, like you say, and... You know, a lot of it comes down to goal scoring for them. They haven't really found, you know, Solomon Rondon hasn't become that. Yeah. Really, because for a while there, they had Peter Odemwingi. He's scored a bunch of goals. Then they had Lukaku on, you know, good season there. 17 goals for him uh, in the league. Um, but then, you know, past two seasons... And they had Sadio Berahino, who had a breakout season. He scored 14 goals for them one season. But then, you know, Rondon, he was their top scorer with nine goals the 15-16 season. And then last year, he was once again their top scorer, but eight goals. Hmm. So we'll, I mean, see, what, we, we'll yeah. see what they can do. I mean, hopefully they'll be smart about it too, invest in some younger players that still have some potential to grow. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that you, want, you want some combination of that and then also... You know, we keep using his name, but he's uh, still an amazing story. Is that it's also not a bad idea to kind of try to keep your eyes out for who's going to be that next Jamie Vardy, right? Like, who is a player who has scored consistently in the lower divisions, who maybe with some talent around him can kick on and be a top goal scorer in the championship, if not the Premier League. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I, I think that on the one hand, we can say, really the last nail in the Premier League relegation coffin for West Brom was hammered in this weekend. But at the same time, you know, they they have to keep their heads held high and hope that next season they can move on to, to really challenge to get back into the top flight two years from now. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise the marquee game of the weekend was Chelsea against Tottenham. Tottenham took a 3-1 to win at Stamford Bridge. Uh, good win for Spurs, who are in a great run of form. Uh, Christian Eriksen with a goal and Deli Ali with two goals. Alvaro Morata yep. got on the score sheet for Chelsea. But, I mean, this is a very nice win for Spurs and their fans beating Chelsea on the road. 
And, you know, just looking at the table now, Spurs in fourth place. They are on a good run of form. They're only four points behind Manchester United in second. They're only two points behind Liverpool, and they have a game in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a massive game for Tottenham. And I have to admit that I thought I thought we were going to see him kind of dip and struggle to score goals and lose at Stamford Bridge without Harry Kane. But, I mean... All credit to him. They played, and it's not just it's not just to go on the road against a local rival and take all three points. It's not just to do so with three goals, but it is even more to come back from one nil down, right? Yeah. You know, and it could have been it could have been more if uh, Marcus Alonso hadn't been flagged offside early on. Yes, but yeah, I mean that kind of to have this kind of performance against. The and nobody nobody thinks that this season's Chelsea were realistically going to be t- challenging for the title, but still they won on the road against the local rival who are the defending champions. Like they're the holders, and to do all of those things without your marquee striker is truly remarkable. So you know, hats off to Tottenham. I think that yeah, especially with that game in hand, they're pretty good value to not only finished third at this point, I would say, based on you know current form anyways, but they might even pick Manu for that second place. Yeah, definitely. With the way their form is you know, sort of peaking right now, absolutely. Uh, I think Liverpool has a good shot of overtaking United as well, seeing how United play and the fact that they're going to go up against Manchester City in the Manchester yeah. Derby in their next league game. So, Well, United still took a, you know, Two no clean sheet victory at home, so credit for that this week. Yay! Yeah, they defeated Swansea two nothing, two nothing <laughs> at so home. Weird. Yeah, uh, Alexis Sanchez uh, got a goal and an assist. Romelu Lukaku also on the score sheet. Lukaku scored early on in that one fifth minute. Sanchez made it two nothing in the twentieth minute, and then it was pretty much game over. And um, but it's the same thing, even though they. They still play a boring brand of football, and we've talked about this so many, many times before. So let's not get you know stuck on that. I'm just surprised that they they're still in second place despite them playing the way they do. So um, you know it it sort of it is what it is. There uh, should we say though that Chelsea are out of the top four race now? They're in fifth. They're eight points behind. Oh, yeah. Spurs. No, absolutely. I mean, and speaking in terms of current runs of form, Chelsea have been pretty abysmal. And you know, not to take anything away from Tottenham's achievements, but yeah, well, they're they're eight points back. They're more than ten goals back in terms of the goal difference that they're looking up at in ter- for Tottenham. Yeah, they're they, they are not as well and truly out of the top four race as Arsenal, but they're pretty much done as well at this point. Well, yeah, and it's been a tough run of games for them, too, because they've lost against, you know, the teams above them. They, you know, lost against Manchester United, they lost against Manchester City, and now they lost against Spurs. So three losses in their last five league games. They also picked up wins over West Brom and Crystal Palace. So that's the story with Chelsea. We've heard more rumors come out that Antonio Conte will not be with the team next season. His former teammate Gianluca Viale. Uh, speaking that he's almost looking forward to leaving the club. So we'll see what happens there. I think Conte is still going to be in very, very high demand if he does end up leaving. 
absolutely. I mean, and we also have spoken about this on the show before is that even though this season is not nearly gone how he would have hoped, he still gets to hold his head held high in terms of, yeah, you came into the Premier League and you won the most, arguably the most illustrious, I think the most difficult club competition to win in the world. And yeah, all credit to you. Yeah. We should also say that Crystal Palace once again fell short a 2-1 to defeat to Liverpool at home. Mohamed Salah keeps scoring goals. He you know, scored the winner in this one, 84th minute. So Crystal Palace playing well, but they're not getting the results. And, I mean, just a horrible slate of games as far as matchmaking goes. First, they had, in their last five, Spurs, they lost one nothing. United, they lost 3-2. to uh, Chelsea, they lost two to one. Then they won against Huddersfield, and then they played Liverpool and lost two to one. Yeah, and they're right above the drop. So, I think if they can keep on putting in the good performances and they get a little bit of an easier run of games, they should be okay. They take on Bournemouth in their last or in their next game. So yeah, but I mean, again, though, speaking of that crucial game in hand that the Saints hold, you know, they're they're above the drop now, but... Yes. Uh, uh, let's see. If, which, if, I'm, I'm going to check real quick. I know they play Arsenal in their next game, so I wouldn't put three points to their name in that one. Uh, let's see no, what, which game they do have in hand. It's from that weird match week 31 that isn't over yet. Uh, let's see here. If it's I can. Uh, Swansea. Swansea away. Swansea away. Okay, so that's not a... a it's not a impossible game, but it's yeah, not it's, a it's gimme. A winnable fixture. It's not a gimme either. Yeah, I mean the thing is that Swansea again something that we've said all year is that Swansea have been pretty abysmal at many points this season, but they've also been a little a little better at home. So playing in Wales gives it a, gives it a chance. But well, I mean I. I, I have to say, though, that that run of games for Palace that you just pointed out really is particularly brutal. And we've been talking about Tottenham peaking at the right time. And boy, the schedule gods were not kind to Palace in terms of oh, no, the run of fixtures through March here. No, not at all. We should say that out of Swansea's eight wins this season, six of them have come at home. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely a stronger home side than they are away. Uh, Swansea, they... Like we said, 2 nothing defeat to Man United. You can't really say too much about that. But they're in 15th place. And we still have that cluster of teams. You know, right now, like we said, Southampton, 28 points uh, in 18th place. But they only have 7 points up to Newcastle. They're in 12th. Yeah. So still a lot of teams, you know, sort of in that relegation battle. Now, let's take a quick break here and when we come back we'll switch over focus to the European Cups and see what the midweek has in store for us so stick around okay and we're back it's um, another European midweek fixture slate whatever you want to call it we got the Champions Leagues kicking off on Tuesday uh, Sevilla goes up against Bayern Munich or München uh, and then Juventus Real Madrid. I mean, that's the big matchup, I would say, of all the games, really. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of a shame that uh, Liverpool and City drew one another, but um, but you never know. I mean, that that could end up being interesting as well. But in terms of in terms of the uh, the kind of you know the Champions League, of course, likes to bill itself as this amazing theater of mega stars, but they certainly will be on display uh, for Juventus and Real Madrid. Yeah, the other. I don't know. Yes. Uh, go ahead. The other quarterfinals on Wednesday, that's Barcelona against Roma and, like you said, Liverpool, Manchester City. Uh, Sevilla, I mean, they did a good job knocking out Manchester United in the round of 16. Bayern Munich, I mean, they just destroyed Besiktas. Yeah. So... I mean, and the form that they're in, too. What did they... They defeated Borussia Dortmund 6 nothing over the weekend. Yeah, that was brutal. It's a uh, tough, tough days at the Valdstadion. So, Munich coming in in good form in that one. I mean, Juventus-Real Madrid. Do you think... I don't know. I mean, I, I actually think that... So... Uh... Technically, the bookmakers have Real Madrid as slight favorites in this one, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Juventus. Well, you can't really say take all three points, but take the wins in the first leg playing yeah. at home. Yeah, it's sort of sort of an interesting matchup there. Uh, Barcelona, Roma, Barcelona, huge favorites in that one, and then you gotta give the edge to Manchester City against Liverpool, just with the firepower. Or I mean, both these teams have great firepower going yeah. going forward, but I feel like City are a little bit better at the back than Liverpool, uh, something that, you know, we can just look at as far as the Premier League goes. You know, in 31 games, Manchester City, they've scored 88 goals, and they've allowed 21. Liverpool, they've scored 75 and allowed 35. Yeah, I have to say, though, that I think that Liverpool really benefit from this draw, not I shouldn't say from this draw in terms of drawing Manchester City. Obviously, they are the champions elect of England, but they benefit in so far as they get to play the first leg at Anfield, right? And I think that if they can, with that firepower, really come out of the gate and end up knocking in a couple of goals, maybe squeak out a two-one victory then, you know, at least they can go to the Etihad with everything still to play for, right? Whereas I think that had the first match been in Manchester, you would I only fairly and rightfully expect City to blow the doors off Liverpool and then it's a little harder to take a 4-0 loss into the second leg and really believe that you've got a chance. But Yeah, uh, Mohamed Salah, we should say, he leads the Premier League Golden Boot race. 29 goals so far. Really, really impressive. Uh, for Man City, they have Sergio Aguero on 21 goals and then Raheem Sterling on 16 goals. Uh, Liverpool's just, second best goal scorer is Roberto Firmino. Uh, 14 goals. I don't know yeah, why I made him Italian, but, you know. I don't know either. <laughs> yeah, he's a Brazilian. Roberto Firmino. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I mean, the thing, the thing about City is that even though they don't have, uh, like, they're not going to have a 30-goal striker, and I would be shocked if Salah didn't hit 30 by the end of the season. They just spread the love around so well. I mean, and, you know, they're, 
yeah, their that... game this past weekend was perfect for that. It's just yeah. Sané, Sterling, you know, everybody gets on the score sheet. Everybody yeah. takes it. Yeah, and if we look at the assist league, you know, you got Kevin De Bruyne, Man City, 15 assists. Then you got Leroy Sané, 11, and David Silva, 11. That's yeah. your. I mean, that that's is... your top three. Those are like FIFA video game stats, right? <laughs> no, it's uh, really impressive my, what Man City are doing this season, and we'll we'll see if they can. I mean, if they would go and pull the double, that would be incredible. I mean, it would be horrible for me personally, but <laughs> you know, as far as putting Manchester City on the map as you know one of the best teams in the world. I mean that that would do it, you know. You you pretty much jog home the Premier League, and then you would win the Champions League. Yeah, that then there would be no discussion about Manchester City being one of the biggest clubs in the world. Well, hey, come on, come on now. Like, it's not uh, uh, <laughs> it's not just just that you, got, you can't forget about the most illustrious trophy, the Carabao Cup. Yes, the Carabao Cup. <laughs> they already they do already have a trophy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and the thing is that like, but if you know if they compete in the double as you say, it would still be a treble, and yes. that's oh yeah, that's incredible. Yep. Yeah, it's not as good as United's treble, but it would still be a treble. <laughs> had to get that little dig. In. Yes, had to, had to. <laughs> So, yeah, a lot of good things to look forward to in the Champions League. As always, that's on Fox. Um, On Thursday, we got the Europa League. We'll focus mostly on Arsenal, of course, as they take on Cheska Moscow at home in the first leg. Is that a good or a bad thing? Honestly, it's really hard to say. (laughs) I I, I would kind of be inclined to say the same thing about it as I did about Liverpool playing City at Anfield, um, but for a slightly different reason insofar as, you know, Manchester City are just so deadly at home, whereas it's not that, you know, take nothing away from Seska Moscow, but at the same time, they're third in the Russian League. Manchester City are going to win the Premier League, and the, it's it's not so much that I would be really, really nervous going in to face the likes of Sané, Sterling, and Aguero playing out of their minds this season as they have, but more just Arsenal's remarkable ability to implode (laughs) and doing that on the road. I mean, similar to, you know, when they absolutely collapsed against AC Milan five or six years ago in the Champions League and then played the second leg at home and almost, you know, almost turned it around, but... Yeah, being able to just put in a solid journeyman performance, try to get a 2-0 victory, even a 2-1 victory isn't the worst, then kind of carry that into Russia and try to nick an away goal. Yeah, I mean, Moscow, they have, you know, maybe not as many household name players, but they have a lot of Russian internationals, uh, and they got my Swede, Pontus van Blum. Right now, he's in in the latest game, they took a 2-1 win over Rostov, uh, Van Bloom was playing as a striker. He scored the winning goal. Uh, he's sort of been all over the place. Usually he's a defensive midfielder. I know he did play, because this goes way back, because Pontus Van Bloom, I have his Seska Moscow jersey hanging up on my wall here. Uh, he used to play for IFK Gothenburg. And, 
you know, one of my favorite players. Uh, but yeah, I've been jumping all over the lineup. He's been playing center back in one game, then defensive midfielder. Now he's up playing as a striker. He is one tough player to play against. He yeah. is bone hard. He's going to, I mean, he's, I love him for his determination. He's not the fastest guy, but always plays with, you know, his heart on his sleeve and really goes in full throttle. You know, it's, it's, it's funny to me that you mentioned that because they have another player who is the fastest guy in Ahmed Musa, uh, yes. the Nigerian forward on loan from Leicester. But you know, he can just, he's a little bit of the Usain Bolt. He can just run past everyone, but then what's he going to do with it? He's, Never totally clear. No, that's true. And I mean, uh, uh, players like Alexander Golovin, one of Russia's you know more prominent prospects, twenty-one years old. Alan Shagoev, if you watch the yeah, Shagoev, you know, yeah, he's a good one. And another another reason that I'm a little bit wary about this fixture is that I have to. You have to wonder with you know you say okay, it's, they're not one of the giants of Europe, right? Like it's not like we're playing Atletico Madrid in this round of the Europa League. Um, I think you should say Drew Sporting. Yes. But they do, they're, uh, they're a team not only with a lot, of, a lot of quality in them, but they're also a team that is stacked with players who will be representing their country for Russia in Russia this summer. And, that, you know, that's just a, that's a minor intangible that I have to wonder about, you know. And you ask any any professional international footballer, right? And they're going to give you the same answer of, oh no, you have to focus on the match in front of you. You have to focus on the task at hand. But it's it's hard not to believe that at least some of these players are going to be, you know, have one eye on the summer, at least in their heart of hearts. But exactly how that plays out, that, that's not entirely clear, right? You know, does that mean that you're going to be that much more fired up and, to put your stamp on the fact that you have to be in that starting 11 for the first match day at Russia 2018? Or does it mean that, you know, maybe you take your foot off the gas and you don't want to get injured? I actually think that the former is much more likely, you know, that it's going to spark some players to really be particularly determined. And, you know, it's something that Arsenal have to look out for because it's, as you said, it's a a side with a lot of quality in it. And, you know, if they've got that extra degree of determination, which, you know, mental toughness has not exactly been the cornerstone of this Arsenal team this season. Yeah. Uh, something well, to look out for, for sure. Yeah, I think one thing they do need to use here, Arsenal, is the fact that they do have some speed up front. Because if, if Moscow play with the same back three as they did in the last game, you got Sergei Ignaz, Ignashevich who's 38, and then you got the Beresutsky twins that are 35. Yeah. So you uh, got I mean, you, you to gotta get in behind them and yeah, just but make unfortunately, them run. Well, yeah, except, unfortunately, you know, the the fastest and most prolific player we have up front in Aubameyang is cup-tied because of that stupid rule. Um and and Lacazette, I mean, I think he played well uh, in his game back. And actually, Jack Wilshire was talking after the 3-0 victory over Stoke that he was really impressed that he, he felt as though it looked like Lacazette hadn't missed a moment. He was totally match sharp. But at the same time, you know, okay, is he going to be able to reproduce that again on Thursday? Is he going to have 
you know, that burst of pace to get in behind in the final third. I certainly hope so. We're going to be relying on him. And I, you know, all credit to Danny Welbeck for having kind of slotted in and helped keep the ship afloat thus far. But this is 100% Lacazette's game to win. Yeah. Yeah. We should also say that Moscow has a player named Nacho. (laughs) So there you have it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Let's... um, Switch gears once again. Let's move over to the MLS real quick because we got to talk about Slatan's debut for the LA Galaxy in an incredible game against LAFC, the El Trafico derby, the first one between these two sides. And I kind of, I do kind of love that it's like you know, in New York it's the Subway Series, and in LA it's El Trafico. Yeah. I mean, it's because they call it the highway face-off in hockey when it's uh, L.A. against Anaheim uh, yeah. or freeway face-off. I don't remember. But highway free. No, I think it's the freeway. Yeah, freeway face-off. Um, but El Trafico, you know, anyone who's ever driven in L.A. can attest to that. The traffic is absolutely horrendous. So it's sort of a f- funny thing there, uh, El Trafico. And it turned out to but be the- one heck of a game, too. Yeah. LAFC went up 3 nothing. Uh, a couple of goals by Carlos Vela. The first one was really a gorgeous, gorgeous goal after some horrible, horrible defending. But that's, an, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it is what it is. But then Slatan made his debut. And when he came in, it was 3-1. to one. And then his first goal, which was a phenomenal goal. I think it would probably make his top 20 throughout his career. I mean, how far out was it? 40 yards, 45 yards? Yeah, yeah, I would say 40 or 45. I mean, the only goal that I can think of that would top that was his, you know, 37-yard bicycle kick for Sweden a few years ago. I mean, he's had a couple of other ones. I mean, the heel, the back heel one against Italy... There, there. He scored so many nice goals. I mean, YouTube Slatan goals, and you'll see a, a whole slew of amazing goals. But, but yeah, I mean, but yeah. He, only- so he, he tied the, the game up, and then he scored the winner. LA Galaxy goes on to win four three. Yep. Yeah. And the thing is that, however, just how incredible that third goal, his first for the club, third in the match for LA, uh, for Galaxy, I should say. Um, was in celebration. He still tore his shirt off. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't care. I'm getting a yellow card. It yep. doesn't the, matter. The lion is here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I saw um, a lot of responses that said, Zlatan, welcome to MLS. And then, you know, actually, it's more MLS, welcome to Zlatan. Yeah. No, it, it was amazing to see. Hopefully, like we said, he can keep things going and, you know, put some more eyeballs on the MLS. That's always a positive thing. Yeah, I I think so. And all the haters that says, "Oh, he's going to retirement league," you know that that's really a lazy statement. Because besides slot on a lot of the, and he's not even a, de- a designated player. He's they're using the target allocation money for him. Uh, but I'll, I mean, the DPS that are coming in now generally are under thirty. So, well, and you know, I so I was at the. Uh, the Chicago Fire Portland Timbers game this weekend and it was fascinating because they deployed, speaking of designated players, 
they deployed Bastian Schweinsteiger as a sweeper in that game. Hmm. And he was actually really effective in that role. Well, the, the um, thing know, is I'm, that his soccer mind is incredible. Bastian yeah, Schweinsteiger really, is one of the most intelligent players that we we've had during his you know professional career, and yeah. it's just that he's he's never been a speedster. And when he lost a step or two, you could really you could really see that towards the end of his time at United. That mm-hmm. you know, if he only had that one extra gear as far as speed goes, I think he would have had a much more successful stint in the Premier League. He's yeah. a phenomenal, phenomenal player. And yeah, and that's what I mean, that's what I really felt just kind of watching him, you know, for some of the of course I was a Timber supporter, so I was jumping and clapping and singing for victory the whole time, but I still was able to just kind of focus on how he read the game and how he you know, it, it, just watching him really, I mean, he's a player that I've had a lot of respect for for a long time, right? It's impossible not to. He's a world champion. He's a defending World Cup winner. But watching him, watching him live was, it was even, you know, he didn't score any wonder goals. He didn't put in any crosses that were, you know, truly inch perfect service. But just generally watching him, how he's both a student of the game and managed the game was, uh, impressive. Although I also, at the same time, I feel the same way about Diego Valeri. <laughs> so he's not quite, not quite the legend of Bastian Schweinsteiger, but he is the defending MVP and also a really nice guy. Yeah. Now I think Schweinsteiger. Hopefully, he'll go into coaching after his career is over because I think he could do a lot of good work with young players. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Then we'll see if it's you know to the riches of Bayern Munich or if he goes somewhere else. Maybe stay in the U.S. That would be nice. We're gonna. I, well... I think that he's he'll he'll end up at Bayern eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think a player like that would be great to have though for the U.S. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. That's hopefully he'll still play a couple more years. Uh, we're gonna round things off here with Paulie and his mobile take, which is regarding the U.S. men's national team. So. Have a listen to that, and we'll talk to you again later in the week. As always, you can find us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren. Elliot is Keith was better, and Polly is P. Questel. So we'll talk to you again soon. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. It's Polly back from a brief two-week stay in London. Uh, lots to recap. Kind of missed a bit, so we're going to backtrack. Not much to talk about in the Premier League this weekend. All the good teams won, all the bad teams lost. Chelsea, I'm officially ready to declare them dead out of the top four race. It's City, United, Liverpool, Tottenham in some order. Tottenham and Liverpool probably jump over United um, because Jose Mourinho sucks. But I wanted to backtrack now real quick onto the U.S. men's national team who did beat, I think it was Paraguay, it was somebody. They beat them 1-0 in a friendly in one of the more meaningless friendlies you'll ever see, mainly because, again, we still don't have a manager, so what exactly are you doing? And this was even more emphasized when the roster came out and we left Christian Pulisic off of it and then actually went out of our way to give a reason for that that couldn't have been dumber. Now, again, I'm not going to get too head up over heels about this because it is just a friendly and it is ultimately meaningless. But we are trying to reshape this team for the foreseeable future. And like I've always said, it's good to give players a look, but at the same time, you also need to know how they look next to the real players. So 
right now, we don't know who our manager is going to be. We don't know who the team is going to be. But we do know that it's going to be built around Christian Pulisic. And it's great to see Bobby Wood out there, and it's great to see uh, Will Trapp out there, and it's great to see Tim Wee out there. We need to know how they play next to Christian. We need to know where Christian fits in with these guys. We need to know how do we create the best team that maximizes all of these guys' talent. Or who doesn't, or who because Christian's there and their games don't mesh, who needs to be on the bench to come in as a sub or something else of that nature? That's what we need to learn. And by leaving him off the team, we don't learn that. You only get so many games, and you should be taking advantage of every single one of those games. Even if you're going to bring in a new manager, it's just familiarity on the pitch that's going to bring him. So now, if, if this was uh, September or October or, or something, you know, if this was a difficult time period, I can understand leaving him off. It's March. You know, you had a lot of Europeans out there. All the European teams are playing. And the U.S. said they decided to leave Christian off so he could stay at Dortmund to prepare because they were playing Bayern Munich at the weekend. Are you serious? Bayern Munich is literally Borussia Dortmund. I get it's a big game, and it's, it's got a name. It's their classicer, and, and it's much hyped. It's their least important game of the season. Bayern's going to run away with that week, which they already have. Dortmund's most important games are against everybody else. They're against the other teams that are at the top of the table as they fight for the top four. And they're against making sure you beat up on all the minnows because everybody's going to play Bayern and everybody's going to lose. It's their least important game. And guess what? You left him home, which hurts our team because, again, a lot of these players came up in the youth system together. Christian didn't. Christian didn't play with them in the youth system. Christian jumped from the youth system to to the senior team when he was 17. So he doesn't have that familiarity with them. You need to give them that. And you just missed out on a game that, by the way, Dortmund lost 5-0. Wasn't even close. So, look, am I making uh, mountains out of anthills? Yes. But U.S. soccer, don't piss on my leg and tell me that it's raining. Just be honest and just be like, ah, we don't really care. Or don't tell me we need to let Christian prepare for Bayern Munich, which is Dortmund's least important game. He is the star and the future of the team. Give him the caps now. Let him get as many games as he can so he can inflate his goal tally the same way that Josie Altador has scored like 40 goals in friendlies. Let him inflate his goal tally so he can rightfully become our, our leading scorer. Also, side note, back to London. You know the World Cup is coming near because the England hype machine is roaring into gear and it couldn't be better. Now, usually it's about individual players. This time it's about Gareth Southgate and his new system playing a back three with Kyle Walker tucked inside as part of the central thing. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain slotting into the middle. They're getting so hyped that England's playing different. Now, I do agree. It's good that England are playing different. But let's calm down here. The Dutch are terrible. You couldn't beat Italy. It's going well, but oh boy, am I looking forward to this one crashing and burning. Thank you.